So Genesis 18, if you were here with us last week, in Genesis 17, couple of things in review. Genesis 17, verse 1. Uh, if you want to turn there real quick, we'll read the first three verses and then jump down to verse 21 to get sort of a synopsis and context of what's going on here. In verse 1, it says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. So that's verses 1 through 3. And then we can jump down to verse 21. A part of this promise, of this covenant, verse 21, it says, But my covenant will be established with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. So a couple of things to keep in mind. Again, last chapter, the Lord meets with Abram once again. It's Jesus, as we'll look at in a second here. Jesus comes, meets with him speaks with him, reminds him of the promises that he has for him and for Sarai. He also changes his name from Abram to Abraham, changes her name from Sarai to Sarah. Very similar to us, when we meet the Lord, we should become a different person, a new person, right? God's word tells us we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're supposed to reckon the old man dead and put on the new man. We're supposed to put on Christ Jesus as our Lord. That's just a perfect picture of what we should be as Christians. Let's turn to John chapter 1 and we can get some truths here about who God is, about who Jesus is, about what his word is, and get these truths before we read through Genesis 18. So in John chapter 1, we'll get a great picture here about Jesus and the word. John chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, and then verse 18, it tells us, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him or he has explained him. You can write down 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 16. Again, speaking about God, it says, God whom no man has seen or can see. Again, family, we need to be very careful, very concerned when someone tells us that God appeared to them. Right? After they tell you, they say, wow, that's amazing. Okay, can you explain to me what he told you about John chapter 1 and about 1 Timothy chapter 6? Because it tells us God will not show himself to us face to face like that because we would drop dead. From his glory, from his purity. And again, that's the amazing thing, the brilliant thing that as Paul says, right now we see through a glass dimly, right? Right now we see through some like dirty glass that's foggy and we can kind of tell who God is through his word and through Bible study. But one day, right, one beautiful day we'll be able to see him face to face. But what do we need for that? Our glorified bodies. These bodies can't handle it, right? Sort of like Indiana Jones will melt. Something crazy like that will happen, right? But when we have our glorified bodies, we'll be able to see him face to face. 
We'll be able to see our Lord, our Savior. We'll be able to spend time worshiping God in his throne room. So as God's word tells us, we can't see God face to face. It also tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's speaking about Jesus. So again, as we look at Abraham and his hospitality, how he wants to spend time with the Lord, he wants to fix a meal for the Lord. We'll also see the Lord and his just complete grace and mercy on Abraham and on his wife Sarah that he's willing to actually eat with Abraham and Sarah. He's actually willing to rest with Abraham and Sarah, right? God, all-powerful, all-knowing, needs no rest, needs no food. He's willing to spend time with Abraham and Sarah. And then we'll look at the grace of God again with Sarah. And then finally we'll look at the work that the Lord is doing through Abraham's life when it comes to his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. So let's go to Genesis 18, sort of giving us the picture, the road map, and we'll read verse 1 through 5. And it tells us, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day, when he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing opposite of him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves after that you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. Again, reading Genesis 17, God appeared to Abram at 99 years old. One thing to note, this guy was in great shape, right? He's 99 years old. God himself appears to him. He doesn't drop of a heart attack. First and foremost, now the Lord appears to him again, and he's running around, right? Can you imagine a 99-year-old just running around, getting things together, getting things in order? And he is speaking with the Lord. And God is so gracious because in chapter 17, the Lord is reminding and re-solidifying his promise for Abraham and his promise for Sarah, right? He gives him the name. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be Isaac. It's the first time the Lord asks something from Abraham and says, hey, as a sign, as a token of our covenant, you need to cut off the flesh. And that's where we get circumcision from. And now Abraham, at 99 years old, he had to get circumcised to show, Lord, this covenant with you and me is real. And not just him, but as we looked at last week, everyone that Abraham was in charge of. Everyone that was in Abraham's care, everyone that Abram would have to stand before the Lord for, had to have this same covenant of, man, cutting off the flesh. Of willing to cut off certain things to honor the Lord. Willing to cut off certain things to show, Lord, this covenant, this promise that you have for me, I take it serious. I take it serious. How many of you enjoy one-sided relationships? Right? Nobody raises their hand, but we love them when it's one-sided for us, right? We love them when it's one-sided for us. You got to ask any kid. They love it when it's one-sided for them, right? They get free rent, free food, free electricity, all these things. It's great, right? But for us with the Lord, is that how we treat him? That is just a one-sided relationship. Lord, I demand health. I demand wealth. I demand a nice house, a nice car. I demand AC in the car, in the house, at church. Lord, I demand all these things. And God, I'll meet you twice a year with a holiday package, right? 
or Lord, we'll hang out once a week, and God, everything is going to be okay, but this is what I'm owed. We see that's not the case, right? Abraham, he had to show that this covenant was real in his life, willing to cut off certain things from him. We see the Lord appears to him, and Abraham, he's just sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And some scholars point out to the fact that Abraham, he's fine, and he's resting in the promises that the Lord has made him. Right? We've seen Abraham, he's got into a lot of trouble when he begins to scheme to get God's promise. When he tries to figure out, hey, Lord, how can I help you out? God, you promised me this thing. It hasn't happened yet. So, Lord, I know why you put me on this earth. To help you, right? You're God of creation, God of everything. You've lived for all of eternity. But, Lord, let me help you out. Maybe you didn't realize I'm 99 years old. I still have no children. Maybe you don't realize that's not possible anymore. But instead, Abraham is resting in God's promises, and he's just hanging out, waiting on the Lord. Again, once he sees these men from a distance, he runs towards them. Again, a 99-year-old man running towards him. And that's why we believe this is Jesus as we read John chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 6, because this is God that meets with him, and we know no man has ever seen God or can see God. He runs towards him. And another thing I have to believe here is that Abraham was longing for the day that he could spend time with Jesus once again. Right? It's been about three months since the last time he spent time with him. Chapter 17 told us a year from now, your wife is going to give birth to Isaac. Usually the babies take nine months to cook, right? Ten months to cook in the oven. So it's about anywhere from a week maybe, a day, to three months since the last time Abraham spent time with Christ. And when he sees him, he runs towards him. He runs towards him. And again, family, may that be us. That when we see Jesus Christ, we run towards him and we want to welcome him into our home. We're not trying to stiff arm him. We're not trying to turn off the lights, pretend like nobody's here, right? You guys know how you act when people come around the neighborhood or knocking on the door. We all know how we are, right? You turn off the lights. You hide under the window. You tell the kids to be quiet, right? We all do our thing. But here, Abraham, he runs out to meet Jesus, and then he, he welcomes him. He begs of him to stay with him. Robert Jameson Speaking about this culture, about this day and age, he says, when the visitor is an ordinary person, the host merely rises, right? You sort of give your head nod and you just say hi like that, or you raise your hand and say hi like that. In Headwaters, Virginia, everybody would just point at each other. You would just be driving and you just point at someone to say hi to them. But here, when it was just an ordinary person, the host would rise. But if it was someone of a superior rank, the custom is to advance a little towards the stranger and if after a very low bow, turn and lead them to your home, to your tent. Putting your arm around his waist or tapping your hand on his shoulder, reassuring him of his welcome. And again, family, are we reassuring the Lord of his welcome into our home? What are we welcoming into our home? Again, Abraham, he needed to cut off certain things from his life from Ishmael's life, from every man's life in the home? Are we cutting things out of our home, of the flesh, so that we can now welcome the Lord into our homes? Verse 3, we see the heart and attitude that Abraham has towards Jesus, right? He says, my Lord, 
If I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Even though Abraham, he has a promise from the Lord, he can say like, man, dude, where have you been? Sarah's still not pregnant. We're not getting any younger, right? I'm 99 years old. She's 90 years old. I don't think this is going to happen, man. Where have you been? How is this going to happen? But instead, he still calls him Lord. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, I use that word a whole lot without really realizing what it means. The weight of it. The depth of it, right? That word Lord, it means master. I don't know when was the last time walking around you said, yes, my Lord, right? Or you go to your boss, yes, master. Right? I don't know how many of you guys talk like that to one another. But this word Lord, it's a person who has power and authority. It's especially a ruler to whom service and obedience are due. Like, guys, we can't just take him as our savior. We can't just take him as our fire insurance unless we are giving him the service and obedience that he is due. We throw this word around so lightly, I pray that I would be more conscious of the weight and power of it. That when I say he is my Lord, man, he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be obedient to. That when I see things in the word, I just have to bite down and say, yes, Lord. right? Yes, my master. That's what you want me to do. That is what I will do. And so often we can lose track of our roles with us and our relationship with the Lord. We can lose track of the titles that are due to his name. Our flesh gets in the way and we can begin to think that he owes me something. Right? Hey God, you promised me this. Where is it? I read this in scripture. I took it as a promise. Where is it? It's been a day. Where is it? Right? It's been a week. Where is it? Or, hey, Lord, I've been kind of living according to your Bible for a week now. Where are all my blessings, right? I've been following your word for a week. Where's all the blessings? Where's all the promises? Lord, I've been following you for a month after spending 18 years living for hell. Why haven't you fixed all the problems I made for myself? Right? If we're honest, that's how we can treat the Lord very often. We can get angry at him. We can grow bitter towards him. We can grow impatient, thinking that he owes us something. Lord, I've been serving here long enough. Why hasn't this happened? Lord, I've been praying long enough. Why hasn't this happened? I've been a good person long enough. Why hasn't this happened? But with Abraham, we see the heart of humility and gratitude that he has towards the Lord. He desires to wash the feet of Jesus. He desires to give Jesus a place to rest. And he desires to give him a piece of bread. And again, family, what a beautiful picture for us that when we spend time with the Lord, when we spend time with the body of believers, what's our desire? Is our desire to give and to bless the Lord first and foremost and the people around us? Or are we saying, Lord, who's going to wash my feet? Who's going to give me bread? Who's going to give me rest? Right? Is that our heart? He tells him, hey, I want to bring you water so I can wash your feet. Walking through the desert and through the wilderness all day. It talked about it being the heat of the day anywhere between 12 and 3 o'clock. If you work outside here in Miami. But man, working at 12 at noon or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, it is brutal out there. So what they would do is that's the time they would take to rest, relax, and then they would get back at their day. So Abraham says, please, let me bring you some water to wash your feet so that you can rest. And let me bring you a morsel of bread, right? A small piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves and that you may go on. And we see just the grace of God as well, right? The Lord and the angels, what do they say? Man, let's do it, right? So do as you have said. 
Our God then it hit Abraham. Come on, bro. Don't you know who I am? I'm the all-knowing, all-creating being. I don't need your piece of bread. Right? I don't need to wash my feet. I can walk. I can walk on water, bro. I don't need you to wash my feet. Man, what are you talking about? But the grace of our Lord. And again, the reminder for us that he wants to spend time with us. Jesus, he wants to commune with you. We need to be careful of extremes within the Bible, within our walk with the Lord. For some of us, we take God and we bring him to just such a place of humanity that we call him our homeboy. We call him our friend and we think, hey, I can never do any wrong to God because we're tight, right? We're cool. We need to be careful of that. But then we also need to be careful. Some people, they put God, and it's true. He is all-knowing, all-power, omniscient, that we just think he's out there in the clouds, and he never wants to talk with us. He never wants to spend time with us. This Bible is not personally for me. It's written to the men ages ago. We need to be careful of both of those extremes. So they agree to it. They say, hey, let's do as you have said. We'll read verse 6 through 8. So again, Abraham, we see this 99-year-old man. And he says, Abraham, he hurried into the tent of Sarah and he said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and he took a tender and choice calf and he gave it to the servant. And he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk, right? He took butter and some milk and the calf which he had prepared and he placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate first and foremost ladies how would you react to this right last minute company last minute meal to prepare your husband's five hey honey how you doing good how's your day going good i'm five minutes from the house oh that's good yeah the ceo of the company's coming over and the cfo you think you can make something real quick no right i ain't making you nothing right go stay in a hotel go eat at the hotel and sleep there overnight right and go spend time with them but right away, right, Sarah, she gets ready. She starts preparing the food. And in this time, in this day, it's not like she went to the refrigerator and pulled out the bread and stuck it in the toaster oven, pushed down, and bing, it pops up, right? No. She'd have to go outside. We have to think camping, right? She'd have to go outside, light a fire, kindle the fire to get the oven heated up, the clay oven heated up. She'd have to go get the flour, start kneading the dough. And that's the type of heart she would have to have. But we see here the heart of hospitality in Abraham. And whenever you're blessed to have someone over your house, usually this is the type of heart that we should have, right? When it's someone you want to have over the house, that guy or girl that you've been praying about and their parents come over the house, hopefully, right? You want to bless them. You want to make a nice meal for them. And we see Abraham running around all over the place, right? He hurries into Sarah's tent and he tells her quickly we need to do this and he runs out to the herd he takes a calf he gives it to the servant he hurries him to prepare it he's running around excited to host the lord excited to host the lord matthew henry says those that would have communion with god must earnestly desire it and pray for it god is a guest worth entertaining that we would welcome the lord into our homes into our breakfast time, our lunch time, our dinner time, our time with the family as we're seated together, that we would open God's word and say, Lord, what do you want to share with us today? Lord, how can we spend time with you today? I also think we all know these types of people, right? Abraham, he says, hey, let me just give you a little piece of bread, right? Let me just give you a little morsel of bread. We know we have the abuela, right? 
or that family member, hey, let me make you something. No, no, I'm so full, right? I'm so full. I just say, no, no, just a little something, right? A little bocadito, right? Something small, something tiny. Okay, fine. And then you see them in the other room pulling a whole calf, right? And just walking through, right? I'm going to get you this little thing. And what we see here is that Abraham wanted to give the Lord his absolute best. Abraham wanted to give the Lord his absolute best. I'll be honest with you guys. I love bagel bites. Bagel bites are great. And if that's your best, man, you go for it. And when you host people, you crank out those bagel bites. Those things are great, right? Got to get the ones with the fake pepperoni, though, not just the plain cheese. But Abraham, he doesn't just say, hey, Sarah, pull something real quick. Pull out the ramen noodles, throw in the boiling water, and let's serve it up to Jesus, right? No, he gets the calf, the tender and choice calf. And if you ever read through the story of the prodigal son and the older brother, the older brother loses it, right? He says, you, you killed the fatted calf for him? The very best meal we have in our home, you killed it for this sinner that's coming back to you? So we know that is the most prized meal in the home, and that's what Abraham wants to serve his Lord. Family, do we want to give him our best? Do we want to give him our best? If we're honest, sometimes at church, people, they just want to give the leftovers, right? Hey, Zach, I have this thing. It's broken. I figured the church could use it. No, we can't use it, right? If you can't use it, we can't use it, right? That's not how it works. But may we give the Lord our absolute best from the first fruits, right? Are you desiring leftovers from other people? Oh, it's an iPhone. Oh, it's cracked completely. Yeah, my phone broke. I figured you could use it, right? I figured you could use it. Know that we would desire the best and we would want to give the Lord our absolute best. We also just see, again, the heart of hospitality in this day and age. A lot of Hispanic culture has a lot of hospitality as well. But in this Eastern hospitality, you wouldn't sit and eat with the person. You would basically stand on watch as like a waiter watching them. Making sure that they're getting their every meal, man. Are they full? And if we're honest, it's not okay if they just eat one time, right? You have to at least be able to offer seconds and thirds, and then you feel okay, all right? And that's sort of the heart here. In New York, we were blessed. Sam and Bina, they were here, the missionaries we support from India. And we were hanging out with Pastor Tony, and they made us a meal. They wanted to make us an Indian meal just like this. She made the bread by hand, and she cooked it on a skillet. But they literally stood around watching us eat. No, man, come on, eat with us. No, 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 I have to watch you eat, right? No, we're done. We ate one time. Come and eat with us. No, no, no. And that dude kept throwing rice on my plate over and over and over again, right? And that's just the heart of hospitality. And we see through the New Testament, to be in church leadership, you have to be hospitable. It's a mark of being a believer. It's a mark of being a mature believer is that we're able to love others as, man, we want to be loved. But then it even tells us to give preference to others to not just come into a room and say hey what can i get but to walk in a room and say hey what can i give so again just the heart of abraham and man what was that like to sit with jesus and watch him eat right to sit with the lord and watch him eat the pharisees they would mock jesus and they say you're eating with sinners right i can think of zacchaeus hiding in the tree little short guy he's done a bunch of terrible things and jesus looks up to him and says hey Zacchaeus, you got to get down from there because I'm going to your house today. And family, if you're a sinner, if you're a saint, saved by grace, right? Man, Jesus wants to spend time with us. He wants to eat with us. 
So may we give him that time. May we give him that chance. Verse 9 through 12, it tells us, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, There in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, right? She has her ear against the door. She's trying to listen in. Man, what in the world is my husband telling God, right? It's crazy to think about. Which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in age or well stricken in age. The Bible's pretty brutally honest, right? They were old. They were advanced in age and Sarah was past childbearing. She's gone through menopause. There's no chance of them ever having a child. And verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself. To herself, right? She kept it in. One of those nasal laughs, right? She's trying to hold it in. After I have become old, shall I have pleasure? And my Lord being old also? And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. couple things for us to pull out of here. The first thing is, man, the only good thing that Sarah said here is found in verse 12. She calls Abraham, not my dummy, right? Not the airheaded guy, not the guy that left me in Egypt for another man. Not the guy that messed up and married another woman. No, she calls Abraham my Lord. And family, this is a beautiful picture of Ephesians chapter 5, of 1 Peter chapter 3, that as the man is submitted to the Lord and Abraham, what does he call Christ? My Lord. As the man is submitted to Christ and calls him my Lord, my master, it makes it easier for the wife to be able to submit and call the husband my Lord and my master. I don't know how many of you wives call your husbands that, right? What is thy bidding, my master, right? I don't know if that's what you say. My wife, when we first got engaged, she would mess with me and she'd say, yes, my master. I'm like, that's weird. Stop that, right? Please, please stop that. But we see here the submissiveness of Sarah. First Peter chapter 3, verse 6. We'll read verse 5 through 7. And it tells us, For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. You see, family, Sarah was able to call Abraham Lord because her trust was in the Lord. Because she wasn't living her life in fear of, man, what is this dummy going to do next, right? He left me in Egypt. He's going to leave her again next time we see with Abimelech. He slept with another woman. He married another woman. And yet she was able to call him Lord because her trust was in God. It's important to note, ladies, as we talk about submissiveness real quick, you don't need to be submitted to your husband if he is beating you or hurting you physically. We don't see that in Scripture. Please show me that in Scripture. We say, hey, no, you should stay submissive to that. You shouldn't stay submissive to that. 
We also know even through the book of Acts that if your husband is asking you to do something that is sinful or against the word, against the Holy Spirit, that you don't have to be submissive to that either. But now if he's just making boneheaded decisions, if he's just always wanting to eat Taco Bell, right, whatever the case may be is to trust the Lord. And again, husbands, wives, family here, if you want to push a man towards doing things in his flesh, try to rule him, try to run him like if he's your son. But for me at least, whenever I sort of get pushed to look at things spiritually, is when I say, hey, what do you think about doing this, love? And she says, I trust that the Lord's going to show you in whatever you pray. <sighs> right? It's like, man, what do you think? If we get this boat or get this hobby, it'll be great. We could work it out. I trust whatever you pray is going to be best for us and the kids. Thanks, right? Thanks. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, right? She's saying, whatever you decide, I trust in you because her trust is in the Lord that he's going to show me those things and reveal those things to me. But again, it all starts with Abraham's view of God, that God, Lord, you're my Lord, you're my master, you're the one that I need to be obedient to and trust in. And that's why Sarah is able to do the same. It's not, okay, my husband needs to be like this and then I'll be like that. It doesn't work that way. It's both people saying, Lord, what does your word say? And I'm willing to do that even if the other person isn't being the perfect example of God's word. We can go back to Genesis 18. That's the first thing we look at there. Another thing that's beautiful here is that the Lord, he cares about Abraham's wife, right? He's asking about Sarah. Hey, where is Sarah, your wife? How is she doing? Where is she? We know she's a part of this process. We know her faith is being tested. And the Lord, right, Jesus is asking Abraham, hey, how is your wife doing? So now she laughs to herself. And this isn't like Abraham in the last chapter laughing like, Lord, this is crazy. How in the world are you going to do this? I'm 99 years old. God, how in the world are you going to do this? But instead, Sarah is laughing, almost scoffing at the Lord. After I've become old, will I have pleasure? Right? Saying, have you seen Abraham? Am I going to have pleasure now? That dude's 99 years old. You think I'm going to have pleasure in any of this? And she's scoffing at God. This is impossible. My body, I don't have the, the right amount of estrogen and all these other things going on. What in the world is happening here? This is impossible. And she's scoffing at God. She's laughing at God. And again, how naive we are and how often we lie to ourselves. She thinks, right, being in a tent next to the Lord, that she's going to be able to laugh to herself or say something to herself and that God's not going to know. The Lord's not going to know what's going on in her, right? And again, look at this picture. Abraham is here talking with Jesus and the two angels. They're talking about the promise. Sarah's in another room and she laughs to herself. And now the Lord asks Abraham, hey, why did Sarah laugh? Dude, I don't know. I don't know. She laughed. What happened, right? What's going on? And then now we hear her, right? Now all of a sudden you hear Sarah in another room in verse 15. I didn't laugh, right? And it's like, what in the world is going on here? Um, but I was teaching in kiddos ministry. You guys got to teach in kiddos. Teaching kiddos is great. Uh, I was teaching with the kids and all of a sudden just <laughs> smelling something. And something wasn't right. Something just wasn't smelling good. Something wasn't smelling right. And all of a sudden one of the little kids just goes, I didn't do it. <laughs> and sometimes we think the Lord doesn't know what's really going on in our hearts, right? 
sometimes somebody asks us, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. I haven't seen you in a couple months. I'm doing fine. Everything is great. Everything is fine. Everything is A-OK. Man, why are you lying to the Lord? Why are you lying to me? I know that's not the truth. And for us to be honest with the Lord, right? Sarah, she lies because she was afraid. She was afraid of, man, God, the, the creator of heaven and earth. I just scoffed at him, right? Bad place to be. And then she lies about it. Again, as we continue to unpack this, we see the grace of God in here. We know in the book of Acts, talking about Ananias and Sapphira, that when someone lies to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord, they can drop dead. That isn't the realm of possibilities, right? We got to be careful when we say, Lord, I want it to be like the book of Acts, right? We got to be careful when we say that. Ananias and Sapphira, they drop dead as they lie to the Lord. And God, he doesn't strike Sarah down. She doesn't drop dead. He doesn't say, okay, you're done. I'm going to do the promise through Ishmael. Or you're done. I'm going to bring another woman into Abraham's life. No, he's gracious to her. But what we see about our Lord is he still speaks truth. And family, this is a balance that the Lord has. It's a balance that we need, that Jesus is gracious to her, but he speaks the truth. No, Sarah, you did laugh. You did laugh. And we need to be careful of going from one extreme to the other, that we think we need to just give the truth. Who cares if there's love? Who cares if there's mercy? This is the law. Tough. We got to be careful with that. You're going to just blow people out of the water, and they're not going to want to spend time with you. But we also need to be careful that we think that we're being gracious and instead we're being sloppy and we're aiding and abetting sinners and we're just not talking about it. Yeah, they're sinning, they're doing their thing, but I'm just trying to be gracious, so I'm not going to talk about it. Not at all, family. And we need to be careful. Lots of times if someone's not doing well, they may not even know it. They're doing something wrong. And what do we all think? Oh, someone else is going to tell them, right? Somebody else is going to tell them. The lady has a piece of spinach in her teeth and... The husband thinks, man, we've had a rough season. One of her best friends will tell her, right? I don't have to tell her, right? Then the best friend thinks, no, her husband will tell her. For sure her husband will tell her, right? And what happens, the poor lady has a piece of spinach in her teeth and nobody tells her until she gets home. So family, if you see something in someone, man, speak to them the truth in love, in grace, and in mercy. In tons and tons of mercy. A great question for us, right? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Can you answer that, right? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And I think we answer that depending on what season we are in right now. Or it's easier for us to answer that and depending what season we're in. If we're in a rough season right now, is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's what the Bible says. I don't know if that's what I see right now, but that's what the Bible says. Or if you just had a, a prayer answer that you've been praying for and sweating over for years, you're like, yeah, man, God can do absolutely anything. And family, we need to trust in him. We need to look at him and who he really is that nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is too wonderful for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. Damien Kyle, he's, he said this so beautifully. He says, there is nothing too difficult for God. And because there is nothing too difficult for the Lord in our lives, then if he answers no to something, or if he answers wait, and the circumstances, they say the same way, not the way I want them to be, it's not because God can't change them. It's because they're part of his plan. We got to be willing to take that, right? We say, Lord, I want this, I want this, I want this. Why am I not getting my way? God, I guess you just can't do this, right? 
I guess this is just impossible for you. No, is that the Lord in his infinite plan and brilliance, that's just not the way it's going to happen. Or maybe you got to wait a little bit longer, right? Abraham and Sarah, they get this promise in their 60s and 70s. Lord, time is ticking, right? Time is ticking. Where's this baby coming? My body is about to give out. And yet they have to wait 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years for the plan and the will of God. May we be there. May we trust in the Lord, not in our circumstances, but trust in the Lord. Remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember that his plans for us are not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. We need to remember these things, that even though things are not going how we want, it doesn't mean that he can't do it. May we trust in him and still live right with him and with the word. We keep reading verse 16 through 21. It says, Then the men rose up from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. And in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing righteousness and justice, so, the Lord, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Again, family, an all-knowing, all-powerful God do you think that he needs to make a visit to Sodom and Gomorrah to see if things are really as they are? No. He knew what was going on, right? But this is a picture for us to just see how just our Lord is. How righteous and truly how fair our God is. Does he need to be fair? No, he's God. But he shows us time and time again through scripture that he is fair. And he's showing this to Abraham, hey, I'm going to wait. I need to go there, see what really is going on before I pour out my wrath or judgment. We can even think of the end of our lives. Does the Lord not know who is saved and who is not saved on this planet? Does the Lord not know who is really walking with him and who is a hypocrite? Of course he does. Does he need to have a judgment seat in heaven to cast judgment and to weigh things out? He doesn't need to. But again, he's showing us just how just and how true and how fair our God is. The beautiful thing here about Abraham that we're about to see is that Abraham, his chief concern here as God talks with him is not about his own ease. It's not about his own comfort. It's not even about his own reputation. What Abraham is concerned about is the reputation of the Lord. And we see it in the life of Abraham. We'll see it in the life of Moses that the Lord will test them to see what is the most important thing to them. Is it what's easy, what's comfortable, or is it the reputation of God? Let's see that now. Verse 22. Then the men turned away from there, and they went towards Sodom. The two angels go to Sodom. And then while Abram was still standing before the Lord, verse 23, Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And let's park here real quick. Abraham came near. He just spent a whole meal with him. And it wasn't like they just went to a restaurant. It's not like the food was ready. 
If you've ever gone hunting, it takes a while to clean an animal, to butcher it, to clean it, to eat it. It takes a while. Abraham, he's probably spent all day with the Lord, and yet he's still coming near to him. He's still drawing near to him. At 99 years old, again, family, we never graduate from learning and growing in our relationship with the Lord. May we continue to seek him. May we continue to want him. May we continue to want to serve him and bless him. Sometimes we can think, hey, I've done my tour in children's ministry, right? I've earned my stripes. I've earned my rank. I'm done with that. I don't got to do that anymore. No, maybe the Lord wants you to go back to kiddos or back to a parking lot or serving somewhere, right? Maybe the Lord wants you to take out your grandkids or wants you to become a youth leader or a young adult's leader to, again, pour out on other people. We're never past growing with the Lord. Hopefully you realize you're never past giving back towards the Lord, right? Imagine a husband and wife, honey. You've been married for 20 years. I don't have to tell you I love you anymore. Right? The wife was like, what? This is getting awkward, right? No, no, but that's no marriage, right? That's a bad marriage. That's a broken marriage. But often with the Lord, we just say, Lord, I've been in this long enough. You know me. I'm not going to change. I'm past that. May we continue to have that heart of Coming near, drawing near to the Lord. And he asked him, Lord, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Lord, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So then the Lord striked Abraham down, right? Who in the world are you to question me? No. The Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. Again, the relationship of Abraham and of the Lord. The heart of Abraham, his concern was, Lord, how are people going to see you? People are going to think that you're an unfair God. People are going to think that you're just this malicious or angry God. Lord, you can't do this. And the Lord, again, is testing Abraham's heart. That's what the Lord is testing. And the Lord, he's trying to do two things in Abraham here. He's trying to create in him a heart of being an intercessor, to be praying for other people, not just praying for believers, but also to be willing to pray for others unbelievers and that's what we're going to see Abraham is doing here he is pleading on behalf of the righteous and the wicked Lord do you have to wipe out the whole city if there's only 50 righteous people there the other thing that God is trying to do through him if you read verse 19 it says for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. The Lord is trying to reveal to Abraham, hey, pay attention to this nation. If you go on sinning and doing things against me and my word, there will be consequences. There will be judgment. And fathers here, single moms here, anyone in charge of somebody younger than them, man, read those verses, that we would be living in righteousness and justice, right? That verse 19, we can write our name in there. For God has chosen Zach so that he would command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. It's on us. It's on us to show it to our kids. We can't just say, you go to church, you go to youth, I'll stay back. 
No, it doesn't work that way. We need to show them by our doing, by our love for the Lord, that faith without works, it is dead. And now we continue reading, right? Abraham here, a lot of people point to the amazing negotiator that he is. Verse 27, we'll read through the end of the chapter. And Abraham replied, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust. Lord, I'm just mud and ashes, but can you hear me out? Suppose 50 righteous are lacking five, right? 45 people. Will you destroy the whole city because of only five people? And he said, I will not destroy if I have found 45 there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy on account of the 20. And then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy on account of 10. So as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. A lot of people point to, and it is, it's pretty funny, right? As Abraham here is like, Lord, do I hear 50? Do I hear 45? Do I hear 40? Do I hear 30? Do I hear 30? 10. 10. All right, good, right? A lot of people point to, man, when you're buying that used car, you got to take Abraham with you, man, and just talk down the deal, negotiate that deal. When you do that Craigslist meetup, you got to bring him there to lowball him and get things right. But what we see here with Abraham, what we see here with the Lord is it's referenced as, right, verse 33, as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham. Not as soon as he had finished negotiating with Abraham, as soon as he was done speaking with him. That family, friends, these were two friends speaking about the status, about the state of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in a sense, the Lord is testing Abraham to see what kind of a heart does he have. Right? We know the disciples, they got bothered with a group of people and they say, Lord, we need power. Help us to cast down fire from heaven so that we can incinerate them and people can see the power of your name. And Jesus says, man, get away. You don't know who you're with. You don't know what club you're a part of, man. You got to get out of here, right? But instead, Abraham, he is interceding for believers and unbelievers. Family, are we praying not only for the righteous, but for the unrighteous? Right now, a lot of believers, they're praying for the president. They're praying for our government. I just wonder if they were praying for previous administrations as much as they're praying about this one. We need to pray for both the godly and the ungodly. We need to be praying for our president no matter who he is, right? Paul tells us to pray for the president when he had Nero dipping Christians in wax and lighting them on fire. And he said, hey, you need to pray. You need to respect your leaders, right? When he would grab Christians, put animal skins on them, and throw them in a stadium so that the wild animals could tear them up. And Paul would say, hey, we need to respect our leaders and pray for them. Family, we need to pray not only for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. We can write down Romans chapter 8, verse 34. If you're quick, you can turn there. If not, I'll read. It says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. That thank the Lord, right? Jesus, we have him there in the throne room of God praying for us. Praying, man, Zach, Lord, just help Zach, fill him with your spirit, do this work in him, let him get this right. We have Jesus praying on our behalf. The other thing we need to know is that the Lord, he does not delight in people going to hell. Or people getting 
the consequences of their sin. He doesn't delight in that. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Family, we need to pray for believers and unbelievers, right? You talk to some people, and they're like the disciples. They want to rain fire down from heaven for the other political party, right? Or for the other nation. They want to just damn them all to hell, right? No, we need to pray for them. We need to pray. And it's a great time to ask that question, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Are we praying and believing and trusting in him, right? Think about Saul. You have a man that is literally dragging men and women out of their homes, telling them, hey, blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ or you're going to prison or you're being put to death. And now the Lord comes and meets this man. And now he is the greatest instrument that the Lord uses after Christ, right? Throughout the New Testament. May we trust in the Lord. May we not just pray for believers but unbelievers. Imagine if no one was praying for Saul. If people were praying, Lord, just strike Saul down, just knock him out, kill him, right? We wouldn't have a lot of the New Testament or a different author for it. But that we would be praying. Family, may we realize the power of a few righteous people in a sinful nation. And I believe that's what's happening even now in our nation and in our world. That the few, the, the little tiny group of people who are righteous, who want to live according to the Bible, we're holding back the wrath of God. Because the church is known as the bride of Christ. And I hope that any groom treats his bride as a bride, right? As some girl that's very special. I hope no groom right before the wedding treats her like one of his ex-girlfriends, right? That'd be pretty grimy. I'm going to block you. I'm going to treat you like my ex. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to pour out my wrath on you. I don't want to be a part of that wedding, right? That will come up in the premarital counseling. But... For those people that believe, no, right, God, he's going to pour out his wrath on Christian and unchristian. We deserve this. Family, is that how you want your daughter's fiancé to treat her before they get married? Before the wedding feast to pour out his wrath on her? No, we don't see that. We don't see that with Noah. We don't see that with Abraham. And we won't see that with Lot. And forget ten righteous. It's really Lot, his two daughters, and his wife. And we know his wife wasn't necessarily righteous, right? The grace of the Lord pulling her out. So family, for us, may we live in these truths. The Lord, he wants to protect his people. He's not going to pour out his wrath on his own people, but he wants to love on us and care for us. But may we realize the consequences of sin taking over a family or the consequences of sin taking over a nation. The Lord, even though he's perfect grace, mercy, and love, he's perfect righteousness and he's perfect law. Is that two-edged sword. He is perfect agape love, sacrificial love, but he is perfect righteousness. So may we be careful not to sway to one extreme or the other. 